first one of the 
Okay, we're going to sing a song together. That's really what I like about us getting together in person. We can sing. So let's sing a song, 590, Jesus is all the world to me. By the way, this song is a song I want sung at my funeral. So if you're around when my funeral comes, if Anita doesn't remember, you say, wait a second, wasn't Ken wanting Jesus is all the world to me sung at his funeral? And hopefully she say, yeah. If not, you insist, okay? Nod your head this way. We will. All right, 590. then we'll begin our studies. <clears throat> Jesus is all the world to me, my life, my joy, my thank you for your many blessings. And I pray, Lord, that we'll begin every day just with our minds open to what you've done for us, to start our day just thanking you for the extension of our lives. And Lord, we're thankful for how the day has unfolded. And we're thankful now that we're able to be assembled here, sing these songs together, to join our hearts and minds together in prayer and to be thinking about those around us who are part of our body, but who are suffering, and we bring them before you. And there's a long list of people that we're continually bringing before your throne, but we're asking tonight, especially for these two concerns that we just learned about. We we pray for Ben as he's consulting with his doctor. We pray, Father, that the doctors and those who are working on his case will make the exact right decision about him, be able to uh, 
either treat him or, or provide a procedure that will help his body to heal and to manage the aneurysm. We pray that through all that, he'll be restored to good health. We pray for Emily in the death of her aunt. We pray comfort for her and for her family as they're grieving. And Lord, so many of us now are aware of people that have perished as the result of the complications from this COVID virus. And Lord, we just pray that you will comfort and bless those who are grieving now, and especially for Emily, as this has just recently happened. We pray, Lord, for our congregation, and we pray that you'll help us to, to be strong and be united together in our work in this community. We pray, Lord, that you'll help us as we, as we have been studying over these many weeks to develop a servant mentality. And I've said several times, I already see that here in many places, but all of us, we're human, and we need goals set before us, and we need to strive for excellence. And so, Lord, I pray you'll help us to do just that and to, to be true servants toward one another and as we reach out to a lost world around us. I pray, Lord, that you'll be with us tonight as we're just really refreshing our memory of the things that we've discussed in past weeks. Help these truths from your scriptures to be reaffirmed in us so that we can really be a great impact in the world around us. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. It's exam night. Why are you laughing? <laughs> it's not really an exam, of course. And if you want to sit back and just be an observer, that's okay too. But I, I, I find it helpful that when it comes to Bible study that we repeat things. We repeat them because the more we repeat things, the more firmly they're established in our minds and Hopefully, it becomes part of our memory. And if it's not a part of our direct memory, I hope that through the process of our study that it becomes a part of your subconscious being so that you will just behave as a servant just like automatically. You don't even have to think about it. It just has become a real part of who you are as a child of God because we're following after the example of Jesus. So we're just, we're just simply going to review some of the things that we have developed over past weeks. Now, I also know that some of us were sick, myself included, and we're out a few weeks. And we had some breaks in those studies, so maybe this will help it to be a little more fluid. That was the intention to begin with, so that everything just kind of flows together and becomes a one unit. And I hope that that can be the process for you, that it's not just individual lessons, but all these things build together. Now, I, I want us to remember that what we're striving to be is a church that serves. Now, you know, and I know, that in order for us to please God and to really know what God wants of us, 
Well, we have to be biblically grounded. We don't just come up with a topic like service and just fill in the blanks. We want to know exactly what God's intention is for us. So I want, I want the knowledge that I have to be biblically based. And I know that when that truth is planted in me, it can have the desired effect. And I'm thinking about James right now, chapter 1. James reminds us that we lay aside all, all filth and overflow of wickedness, and we receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save our souls. Not to be hearers of the word, but doers. Now, I hear the word, listening to what God has to say, but it isn't just my mental assent. It isn't just saying, yes, okay, I believe that. What we've got to do, what Jesus was all about, was hearing that word and then making the application. Now, James goes on to say that, you know, when we peer into the word of God, it's like a man looking into a mirror. He observes himself. Now, I can do one of two things. I can observe myself, see what needs to be changed and change it. Or I can be a forgetful hearer. And he describes that person as a person who looks in the mirror and then goes his own way and he forgets what it is that he saw. You and I, we want to be that, that diligent student of the word of God that has the word planted in their heart, that's for sure. And then we want to go about doing what it is that we learned was necessary in order to satisfy our relationship with the Lord and with, with one another, following, following in the footsteps of Jesus. If I'm going to think right, I'm going to get that thinking from the scriptures. But I have to think right in order that I might act right. Got to have the right mind in order to drive the actions in my life. Now, I want Jesus to be the ultimate pattern or example for me of what it is to be a servant. In the book of Mark, chapter 10 and verse 45, we have a passage there that I mentioned several times because Jesus has given us the essence, a part of what was his motivation and the work that he did. He said that the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. We think of Jesus, we think of God, and within the realm of the deity, we want to worship God. And that's altogether fine, but we're called to do that. On occasion, Jesus even accepted worship. But Jesus is making the point here that, look, I, I didn't come here for the express purpose of just going from town to town and people falling down at my feet and worshiping me. That's not what I came for. I came here to serve. He came to be the element or the means by which God could be demonstrated, right? He's the word. He could demonstrate God before people, and then that could be impactful. And when I see that example, I follow that example. Another text that I mentioned was from the book of Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. 
And then verse 5, he says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. We're following, as we'll see later, the example of Jesus offering himself so that we can be different, so that we can be changed. And when Jesus says that he came to serve and not necessarily be served, when you hear that, how can you, how do you take that statement of Jesus and make the application to the church as it serves others? Because after all, that's, that's what we're hitting on right now, at least to launch. We want to be a church that serves. So if I'm following Jesus, what's that, what are you going to see in us in Boonville that demonstrates we're actually following in those footsteps? This is your turn. Okay, if I'm serving you, easy or hard? Easy. And why, why is that easy? My, well, you're, you're my brother, you're my sister. Isn't that how the song goes? So we have a like mind about us. And as long as you're dealing with people who are like-minded, pretty easy, right? But just like Jesus didn't come just to be served, easy, I'll worship him. No, he came to serve and to give his life a ransom for many, many of which, most of which, all of which were in sin. And, you know, let's talk about deserving, undeserving, but God gives it anyway through Jesus. So one way we do it is by reaching out, going to what's uncomfortable. And if you don't remember anything else, remember that service requires us to get out of our comfort zone. Any, anything else? Anybody else think of something demonstrates that we're really impacted by Jesus and his example to go out as the church to serve? Okay, showing love. Boy, and that reminds me of a little bit of discussion that we had when we were studying Romans 12, verse 9. Let love be without hypocrisy, right? So I'm going to, let's take, let's take what Marilyn was talking, we're going to serve outside. We're going to, we're going to go beyond our property borders here. We're going to serve people. When we do that, what's our motivation for doing it? Well, you don't want to be a servant, so I guess I better go help people. (laughs) No, what's driving me is my sincere love. Not doing it just because I have to. Now, I've heard people say this, you know, fake it till you make it. Peace. That's how you have to operate to teach yourself to love. Uh, okay, but that's not, really, that's not really how we're driven to do it. I'm going to love others because what's happened to me? God's loved me. If I'm just going to pattern myself to fake it till I make it, well, I may not make it too well if my motivation is I'm going to love you and I'm going to expect you to love me back because how often generally is that going to happen? <laughs> it might happen here, but if, if your agenda is the spreading of the gospel or expanding the kingdom of God, I, hey, I'm sorry to disappoint you, but that element of expansion is not really popular these days. We're going to be a church that serves. But I, I wanted to add this idea, the sense of servant mentality, right? We're trying to develop a servant mentality. So let's think for a minute about what it means to have a mind of, of service, 
a mind of service. Okay, I think about Jesus, of course. I'm going to be driven by his activities. But I, I wanted to think with you, and I mentioned these names before in the lesson that, that I delivered. I'm going to throw these names back at you. I guess this is your exam, okay? I, I, I described for you some Bible characters, both from the Old Testament and the New Testament, all of which demonstrated the kind of servant mentality that we are after. It isn't just that they did something for God but that they did those things and had to, in effect, set aside themselves or their sensitivities, the self-promotion aspect, had to set that aside in order to be the servant. Okay, maybe the best example of that, certainly one of the premier example, examples, is a guy by the name of Eliezer. And he's mentioned in the book of Genesis chapter 15. You remember who Eliezer is? He was the servant of Abram, Abraham. Remember that? He was the household servant. And here's how the thing started out. God says, Abraham, you're, you're going to have, you know, you're going to have uh, descendants, you're going to have a son, and all the nations of the world are going to be blessed. And Abram's like, oh, yeah, I'm old. Sarah's old. Don't know how that's going to work. Oh, God must mean my household servant, Eliezer. Because in those days, apparently, that, that was a natural thing to do. If you don't have any descendants, the guy's been running your household all these years, he can become your descendant. Or, or you can, in effect, adopt him, and all that is yours can just go down through him. So here's Eliezer, but not so. It's not going to be through him. Uh, think about Eliezer to begin with. Wait a minute. Wow, I could have been, you know, the guy, but not so. It, it's thought later when Abraham is responsible for finding well, at least involved in the finding of a wife for Isaac. Most people think that the household servant that took care of that job was none other than Eliezer. Okay, now, watch this. Eliezer is going to serve Abraham, if, if that's how this story unfolds. Eliezer is going to serve Abraham to find a wife for Isaac, which would basically do what for Eliezer's hope for maybe an injunction <laughs> or, or some kind of weird turn of events that he might be... It crushes it, right. I'm, I'm going to serve even to my own detriment. Now, I, I want to, if nothing else, again, here's another key point to keep in mind. I'm going to serve God. Many times, more often than not, in your service, it's going to be great. And you're just going to feel so satisfied in that. But there may be occasions when you're serving the Lord and you're doing exactly what you were called to do when it doesn't come back the way you had hoped. And it's frustrating. Well, we don't throw in the towel. We're going to trust God for the outcome. Uh, such was basically the case with Eliezer. Okay, here's a softball. I'm going to throw up a softball. Okay, what about a guy by the name of Samuel? 
I'm thinking about early in his life, 1 Samuel chapter 3 in particular. What is it about Samuel in his early life, and I mean as a boy, that is an exemplar of service? The servant-mindedness. Okay, listen to God. He is hearing God's voice two times prior, and he's not sure what's going on. He goes to Eli, who, by the way, Eli will ultimately become uh, the object of the message that Samuel receives to his own detriment. But Eli, recognizing something special is happening here, says, you know, when that voice calls you, you respond. You know, say something akin to, uh, here I am, here I am, speak. Your servant hears, your servant listens. And so Samuel, even as a child, submits himself to that. God speaks, and I'm going to do what? I'm going to listen. Okay, now, I'm just thinking about being a servant. I'm reading through the Scriptures, I'm, as we have done over many weeks. I, I see these things that God is expecting of me. Is there a moment at which I'm like, you know, I don't know. I, I don't know. Anybody have that mindset? Don't throw your hand up if you do, because I'm going to be so disappointed. We do not, right? Are are we not going to have that same mind that says, Lord, if that's your expectation of me, what? I'm going. I'm ready. Uh, uh, Here we go. Now, maybe some of us are like Samuel in that we have to have that beat into our heads two or three times. (laughs) But let's have that mind that if, if I have the capability... If I have the resource to be able to accomplish a goal for the Lord, then I'm going to do that. Let's just resolve ourselves. We're going to be, at least in that aspect, like Samuel. There was this guy by the name of David. And uh, before you start storming through your mind, I'm going to remind you of the passage that I pointed to earlier in our study. And that was Acts chapter 13 and verse 22. Does anybody know what that far off New Testament passage has to do with David? And you can look it up if you need to. Got those handy Bibles there. But that's the passage where we find out that God had chosen David. Why? Because he was a, God, he was a man after God's own heart. Watch this now. Who will do all my will. Now, I've had a lot of people ask, well, wait a minute, you know, David ended up being this and that and list all of his sins. Why would God say, I chose that guy because he's got my heart when he, had a, when he had a propensity, it seems, to commit sin? Well, it's, it's described for us right there in that text, right? Uh, question, was David perfect? No. Are you as a servant perfect? No, just go ahead and admit that. I'm not. But I have the mind, I have the heart that says, Lord, whatever you tell me to do, I will do. Samuel and now David. Because David was chosen because of the heart that he had like God's. And here's the description of it. He was set to do what? Not just some of the will of God, but his determination was as far as was his capability to do so, to do all the will of God. That should be the same mindset that I have. Then there's this guy by the name, well, he's called John or John the Baptist. In the book of John, chapter 1, verse 23, what is it about John the Baptist that was servant-minded? 
Because now think about it, by the time we come to the Gospels and we're reading about John, John's already popular. You know, he's out there in the wilderness, and what are people doing? They're going out there to him. And imagine that. You've got throngs of people, even educated people, coming out here into the wilderness to hear what I have to say. Boy, would that contribute to most people having a big head and developing a huge ego? Absolutely. But John says, my purpose was to do what? To prepare the way of the Lord. Yeah, I'm a voice crying out in the wilderness, but the voice is crying this, prepare the way. I'm preparing the way of the Lord. Ultimately, John and all of his disciples, all that following and Jesus coming along in his ministry, John made the point, I must decrease, he must increase. John had the right mind. I'm going to serve the Lord to the very best of my ability. Whoa, that made me popular. So what? I want to raise up whom? The same one, Jesus. I want to raise up Jesus. I don't think we have to discuss so much about Jesus being a servant, but clearly he is the ultimate example of that. Maybe a lesser known, but truly impactful servant in the first century was a guy by the name of Barnabas. What was Barnabas famous for as a servant of the Lord? Okay, Acts chapter 4, Barnabas, or Joseph, he's called Barnabas because he had actually developed a nickname by the apostles. The apostles called him Barnabas because he's the son of encouragement. Does that tell you something about him? But he is used as a great example of somebody who was willing to sell land that he had in order to sell it, give the proceeds to the apostles they could distribute as they saw the need. And I see that there's a lot of, a lot of details about Barnabas in that text, one of which is that he was uh, uh, of Levi. He's a Levite country of Cyprus. And you know those Levites, how'd they come by land? Inheritance? Yeah, shake your head this way. All the other tribes supplied land to them. If you were a Levite and you had land, you had bought that land. Or that land in some way had been given to you. But if you owned a piece of land outright, you paid for it. And when you sold it, guess what would not happen? It wouldn't ever come back to you as it would with uh, uh, those of the tribes. And so here's a guy who bought some land. He sold it, but he's not expecting, well, you know, yeah, I'll get that back. So no big deal. Barnabas is giving away something that cost him something, a person of sacrifice. And that's what we're looking for in service. And then there was also this woman by the name of Dorcas, and you can read about her just in a few verses, but the one that I'm thinking about is Acts chapter 9 and verse 36, because the text tells us exactly what it was that she was doing that so, that so identified her in her service that when she died, those that she tended to were begging that she actually be brought back to life. What is it that she did? Yeah, she, she was known for her good works her good deeds. You say, well, you know, wait a minute. What's extraordinary about that? Well, she saw somebody who had a need and probably wasn't being supplied by anybody else. And she said to herself, I can do something about that. 
Was that a blessing to the kingdom of God? Or is she not a tremendous example for us? Well, of course she is. Think about that. She she did what she could do. And as a result of that, where is her name? And why do we even know about it? Right there documented in the word of God itself in the scriptures. I just love that. Okay, your exam's coming to a close. I'm just going to... Over, over the span of three weeks, we actually examined Romans chapter 12. The reason that we did that is because in that text, we have, I mean, as, as detailed and beautiful a description of what it is to be a living sacrifice as there is in all the scriptures. In fact, I mean, he, just, he, he, he basically defines the whole lot of it. In those opening verses, we have... We have the living sacrifice itself. And I I broke that down for you because I wanted to emphasize just how beautiful that passage is and how expansive it is. The plea of the Apostle Paul to brethren that he hasn't even interacted with yet, but in this writing, he's setting them up so that, you know what, if if these things are lacking, just as as he had done with the Philippian brethren, if these things are lacking in you, boy, be sure that they're in place if ever I'm able to be in your presence. So he says, I beseech you, or I beg you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies, the tender mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, not be made with the mold of the world, but be transformed, go through a metamorphosis, by the renewing of your mind that you may prove or become the example of what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now, I wanted us to see, as we went through that section, that there is a huge difference between what a living sacrifice is and, first of all, what a dead sacrifice is. What is a dead sacrifice? Can you think of any examples? Dead sacrifice. When you read the Old Testament, you see those sacrifices. Yeah, it... I mean, it was all in, right? (laughs) It it was bled out, blood sprinkled. Um, And and I don't know, I wasn't there. I just read, you know, histories, uh, maybe traditions that were handed down. And it is said that, especially the Day of Atonement, that the sacrifices were such that when those animals were bled, that the blood was ankle deep that the priest stood in. Can you, can you imagine such a display? But with all of that blood around, life is in the blood, there's all this death, right? And it's final. It's final. But it wasn't final because that had to be done how often? Year after year. And in that was the remembrance of sin. Jesus becomes the ultimate sacrifice for sin But now, you and I, having died to sin, we rise up. When you come out of that water, you're dead or alive. You're alive. You left the dead man where? 
in that watery grave. You're alive. And boy, we come out of that, we're so excited. And whatever guilt we felt before, you come out of there, it's like, wow, burdens are lifted at Calvary. But you're alive. <laughs> you know, you, you can do stuff as this new babe in Christ. And so I, I have given myself in that to the Lord and in service to the Lord. I have, in that sense, sacrificed myself to serve Him. I'm not dead. I'm alive. I'm going to be a living sacrifice. That living sacrifice, very different from the dead sacrifice. This living sacrifice that we are is also very different from a worldly sacrifice. And did you notice what He did in verse 2? Don't be conformed to this world. Don't be made with the mold of this world. Why not? Pardon? The world passes away, so if you're made in that mold, you'll be passing away. What else? I said a couple of provocative things when, when we went through that. I, I really want it to stick for you. Uh, one thing was that a Christian that's made in the form of the world is a deformed Christian. Please don't forget that. If you're made with the mold of the world, you are a deformed Christian. And then the sense of being transformed. That's going from one state to another. And I use the illustration of the butterfly going from the caterpillar to the butterfly. Caterpillar, ugliest thing in the world. Uh, butterfly considered one of the most beautiful. Isn't that a perfect representation of what happens to us when we go from the ugliness of sin to forgiveness, Right? So it's very different being a living sacrifice as opposed to the sacrifice that the world offers, which is selfish. And then a living sacrifice, that's very different from an unproven sacrifice. And I'm keying on the last statement where he says that you prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. To prove literally means to become the example of it. So you're a living sacrifice, but be, be sure that what you're doing, the service that you're offering is legit because you don't live in a vacuum. You're not hidden away somewhere unaffected. Everybody, and we were talking about the effort that we want to make on the outside. Everybody that's out, out there is looking at, guess who? Looking at you, seeing seeing by your example what it is to be a living sacrifice. Uh, the second thing we did was uh, we made an honest assessment of ourselves. And here in Romans chapter 12, verses 3 to 8, he describes, you know, we're, we're the body. And he uses the example of the physical body that has all its parts. And then he makes the correlation to the body itself. And all of us have various functions, Right. So whatever it is that you are capable of doing as a servant of God, it may not be anything like what I do. Don't say, well, I want to be just like so-and-so. Don't, don't do that. Don't, well, first of all, don't limit yourself to only being what somebody else might be able to be. Maybe God has given you so much more that you're capable of doing or given you resources that are very different from somebody else. The only, the only, the only standard that I should be looking to is Jesus. I can use the example of others like we did with Dorcas and Barnabas and, and all the rest. 
But ultimately, I'm serving the Lord. And so if the Lord has called me to a particular sort of work, given me the skills and the resources to accomplish something, then what should I do? Tap the shoulder of my friend and say, you do it. Shake your head this way. No, do this. Volunteer to do it, right? Volunteer to do it. Assess yourself. Assess yourself. And then act on it, right? What I know to do, I should wait till later. No, do it. Go after it, right? And, and then the last section, a uh, long section, uh, verse 9 uh, to the end of the chapter, we actually see how it is that the rubber meets the road, right? And I told you that the very first thing that he said in verse 9 is the one that, I mean, I could stop right there. Because that's the one that challenges our sensitivities, the reason why we do what we do. That was brought up earlier, that when I'm going to serve the Lord, what's my motivation? Well, he starts right off the bat. Let love be without hypocrisy, right? When you go after this, when you serve the Lord, you're a living sacrifice. Be certain that what you do is legit. It comes out of a heart of love for others. I'm extending myself to others, but I'm motivated by my love for them. Ultimately, because I want to save a soul like Jesus wanted to. And Jesus, according to the plan of God, loved us enough to come and die for us. So what is it that I would allow to become a stumbling block to keep me from loving somebody else? It should be what? Nothing. Nothing should get in the way. So verse 21, he says, Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome the evil with good. Get that? Don't let it anything. Be the stumbling block that keeps me from doing what I need to do. I have to develop this heart of a servant. Develop the heart. We started with a question. Do I have that heart? You know, do I have the heart of a servant? If I say I do, and this is personal assessment again, if I say I do, then I need to ask myself, how am I demonstrating it? How is that that seen? I mean, I can say I'm it, and it might be my hope that I am a servant. You know, I've developed this heart. I got it, Ken. Okay, but I'm not your judge, but you're you, and you're you're invested in what's going to happen to you eternally. You're invested in whether or not you're actually doing what the Lord's commanded you to do. So in light of that, make a self-examination. Do I really have that heart? I say, yes. What's the example of it? How do I demonstrate that I truly do have that heart? And, you know, we work on that. I'd handed out a survey. Remember that? And some of you checked off those things that were complete. I I don't know of anybody, and maybe you're one of them used it and share it, but I don't know of anybody that had a 100%. Because there's always something that we should be striving for, something that's lacking in us. But the proof's in the pudding, as they say. And I, I have to make those determinations, understandings, based on what's happening. Not just what I want to be, but what's actually happening, what is. And then the last thing that we talked about from last week were some of the conditions that stand as hindrances to us. And the last two of those we didn't actually get to talk about very much 
And I just wanted to touch on them as we're closing here in the last few minutes. One is that oftentimes we just have a poor sense of worth about us. That is absolutely going to get in the way of my servanthood. If I don't think I'm valuable enough, I say, you know what, what I do really doesn't matter. That is not how God sees you. I've heard this many times, and I know it's true. You know, people can say harmful, hurtful things to us. Maybe, you know, maybe there's something uh, physically different about us makes us stand out. Maybe we have a, a quirky personality that makes us hard to deal with. I, I don't know. It might be something that's unusual about us. But one thing I, I heard before I've never forgotten, and that is, first of all, God made me. God made you. And God doesn't make junk. God's very intentional about, he does, about what he does with each one of us. That means that whether I can see it or not, I have value. You have value. If I don't see my value in the kingdom of God, then that can absolutely become a hindrance to my serving God like I ought to. Do not let anything, and if your, your mind maybe plays tricks on you, or maybe there's something in your past that you think is getting in the way, don't listen to that. Don't let those negative thoughts or negative words of other people stand in the way of you achieving what God's called you to be as a servant of His. Do not let your sense of self-worth, if it's negative, get in the way of serving God. And then, maybe this is too obvious, but I'm just going to tell you, if you are self-centered, you're going to have trouble being a servant. Now, Ken, what do you mean by self-centered? Well, here's some self-examination again, okay? You do this, not going to write it down, just thinking. If, if you think about yourself all the time, you're pretty self-centered. If in conversation, you actually have to dominate that conversation, talking about yourself and your accomplishments, pretty self-centered. And here's a test, and when you do it, you're going to realize it's pretty tough, and maybe it will be a telling thing for you. But self-centered people say, I and me, and my, an awful lot. Now, you might come back and say, well, now, Ken, I don't... Wait, stop, you just did it, <laughs> right? Just be aware of that. Just, just kind of think. If not tonight, you know, wake up tomorrow and say, you know, I'm just going to kind of examine how this goes. Notice how many times you dominate a conversation about yourself. And if you see it happening, or if you have to force yourself not to do it all day, that's pretty telling. If you are a person who demands that other people respect you and what you think, your opinions, you're, you're pretty self-centered. If you're a person who's suspicious of others, or if you're that person who is pretty greedy in trying to hear what you think other people are saying about you, that's pretty selfish too. 
Even the idea of jealousy and envy, you know what that all comes back to? Self. All those things, and and many more you can think of, stand in the way of us being the servants that we need to be. I hope that through our study, you are coming out on the other side and saying, you know what, that's it. And I want to be a servant. I'll give you a hint. If you're going to be the servant God wants you to be, you're going to have to start with your character itself, who you really are. Fashion that according to the model of Jesus. And when you're able to do that, you'll be, you'll be way on your way. Let's have prayer together. Time's up. Uh, after the prayer, <coughs> we'll, <coughs> we'll have our parents go out, give them about 15, 20 seconds, and then we can be dismissed. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the time that we've had to study together. Thank you for being with us as we just remembered some of the topics of the past. I pray, Lord, that this has not been in vain. I pray that we have studied these things in the detail that we have and we have made progress and that we are servant-minded and so ready to get busy in expanding your kingdom. And Lord, more than anything, help each of us to examine ourselves, not just to be convinced that we're servants, but to actually go out to do the work of servants and to be motivated by love. Thank you, Lord, for your word that's directed us, and I just pray it's effective in changing us and helping us all together as one, united together, to be the body here in Boonville that can truly make a difference for the future and the lives of our neighbors and our friends, our families. In Jesus' name, amen.